Have you met Emmy Ham? I have. I met Emmy on a trip to Modesto last weekend. Uh, we went there to canvas for Josh Harder, who is running for the House of Representatives in California's 10th district against Republican Jeff Denham. Uh, Jeff Denham is responsible for a complete lack of action in terms of securing water for the region. Uh, he's been part of the Republican effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act and other measures to undermine the health insurance markets. And Josh Harder wants to do just about the opposite of all of those things. So uh, Emmy and I, along with Kyle Burnett and Ben McIntosh, who organized the whole trip, uh, we went to Modesto in a caravan. Uh, about nine or ten of us, I think, split up into three teams. We covered around 600 houses, knocked on doors, getting the vote out. So that's what we did. That's how I got to know Emmy, um, even for a brief time. And you're going to get to know her a little bit better on this podcast. She is an IPD student here at Miss, and Angelo Gonzalez sat down to talk with her. Um, here's their conversation. And welcome back, folks, uh, to another edition of Miss Radio. Here I will be talking to Emmy Ham who is a student here at Miss, and she has her specialization within human rights, gender, and identity, and that is under international policy and development. Thank you for having us. And um, first off, yeah, how's your day going? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, it's Friday. We, we made it to Friday, which is <laughs> always good. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. I've been doing some uh, some recon on affordable housing and and getting my mind back to that place of uh, of what I've sort of been living and breathing the last year. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Okay. So, well, speaking how the day is going, can you please enlighten us? What is a day in the life of a graduate student like here at Miss? And what has brought you to the subject matter that you are researching and learning about today? Good question. Um, I feel like lately it's been so chaotic. I feel like we're all pulled in so many different directions in terms of, um, you know, our classes and what we have going on outside. We're all really engaged in in the issues that we're working on. And and I don't think you can really, um, you know, just study these issues. You have to be involved in them in some capacity. So um, I think, you know, we all seek those outlets. And I personally... I like to do that. Um, I've been working with Women's March of Monterey County um, just to get some political action in there, feeling like I'm doing my part. Um, So yeah, I've got a a lot of things. It's a juggling act, for sure. No doubt. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's great. There's a lot of creative energy here, a lot of really, um, you know, impassioned people and and it's awesome to work with everyone yes i mean you speak on a whole bunch of things and my head's going off like fireworks yeah um it's it's one of these environments in which as a student uh as well it's it goes past the nine to five right? oh yeah you know and people say you know don't bring your work life into your home life well here we are you yes know? <laughs> oh they're totally one and the same when yeah. you're when you're in this program um, you're living and breathing it, really. Mm. The minute you wake up, the minute you go to bed. So, most definitely. 
So um, we're going to dive in here uh, fairly quickly yeah. on, on the subject matters. And so I wanted to start off by, uh, you grew up in Portland, Maine, correct? I did, yes. I grew up right outside of Portland, actually, in a town called Cape Elizabeth. Um, and it's actually very different from Portland in a lot of ways. But I, I spent the last year actually working in Portland, and I um, got the chance to see what existed there um, and sort of the social issues that were converging in the city that I think um, anybody who lives outside of the city does not really get the chance to see, um, especially in an affluent community like the one that, that I grew up in. So um, I'm really I'm really thankful that I got that opportunity um, to really immerse myself in it and work firsthand with, with the people who lived in Portland. Wow. Okay. So you had moved from there to Portland later on? Yeah. So I, I moved back, actually. I, I studied or I taught abroad in, in France um, the year after I graduated. And then I moved back um, to Portland. I thought I was going to be coming to Miss, actually, that year, but I decided not to. I decided to do another year at home to save up. And um, I found this job and I sort of fell into it. And it was an awesome fit. And it sort of really solidified the the path that I was on um, to wanting to work in in policy um, and development and and work with people. Um, so it ended up being a really great s- sort of segue into what I'm doing here. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so I wanted to touch on that job specifically and how it's impacted your life mm-hmm. and how it's led you to here. You said, um, was this the job on affordable housing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked um, for an affordable housing agency for the last year before coming here called Avesta. Um, they're based in Portland um, and they're the biggest affordable housing agency in the state of Maine. They're expanding now um, a little bit into New Hampshire and um, they might eventually make make their way into Massachusetts, but they're not sure yet. Um, so. I worked as um, a um, assistant property man or a property management assistant, which was basically a catch-all um, mm-hmm. title. I did a lot of different work. Um, it's vague by design. My title was. Um, I worked um, partially with the intake team, uh, working on applications, um, and I worked at the front desk. So I would often be the one receiving people when they walked in the door Um, and that could be you know people who are homeless that could be immigrants looking for affordable housing that could be um, you know somebody in who's who's um, just a low-income person um, somebody with disabilities um, I really the most vulnerable populations um, in Portland and in Maine were walking through our doors and calling us every day um, looking for affordable housing. Um, and of course you could never really supply enough. Um, so you really see, um, immediately the desperation that is there, um, and, and what these people are experiencing. So, um, that was, that was something pretty new to me. Um, this idea of people just trying to survive really, and us being that sort of, um, that pathway for them and they really see 
um, those sort of organizations as a as a beacon of hope and you want so badly to help every single person who walks through that door um, but you can't and so it, it's a hard balance um, of giving people what they need immediately but also um, sort of reasoning with them and letting them know that we we can't necessarily house you right away it mm-hmm. could be a couple of months it could be um, a year it could be two years it could be never you know um, and so that's kind of a harsh reality that I had to deliver to a lot of people um, and so I had to deal with so many different reactions in that sense and um, it really helped me to um, um, kind of hone in on my compassion and empathy for people mm-hmm. um, and also know when to sort of step back and take care of myself because if you let everything impact you as strongly as it could mm. then I would have never you know gone back to work every single day right right it, it becomes as if the work itself becomes so overwhelming yeah that you're led to do nothing mm-hmm. right and uh, we live in such an age of spin where every day it seems like a new tragedy you mm-hmm. know so kind of some folks might just throw up their hands and it's like okay well where do we go from here um, right but I must say, you are very encouraging uh, to all of us students here. I, I constantly hear your name on campus. So, <laughs> you know, you're a shining example of, of, of a very bright future, I believe, in the sense that, you know, you, you've done the work, you spent the time with this Affordable Housing Association, and then also you're doing great work here while researching uh, different various topics surrounding mm-hmm. the issue of affordable housing and homelessness. Yeah. So I'd love to speak upon um, what is homelessness in your own words uh, from the academic community that we're a part of, and how would you define the, the, the framework and the parameters mm-hmm. of how we're looking at it and how we're going about learning mm-hmm. about what homelessness is today? Yeah, that's a really awesome question. Um, I, actually, this morning, so one of my professors, Kent Glenzer, I'm not sure if you have him. Not yet. All. Not no. yet. You should. Um, shout out to Kent. Um, he sent us out a quote this morning that just, I thought, really nailed it on the head in terms of uh, we're dealing with, in his class, what we call wicked problems. Hmm. Um, and I think um, that we've touched upon it in our class as well, but it's, it's, it's an intractable problem. It's something that is so tangled and so muddled, and there, there's not a certain lever, magic lever, that can be pulled to sort of fix this and there's so much there's so many problems within the problem that it's almost impossible to conceptualize Um, and people have tried I mean academics try all the time to sort of pinpoint what's the problem Uh, but I think anyway let me read this quote Um, he said some problems are so complex that you have to be highly intelligent and well informed just to be undecided about them and this is not meant to be condescending no, 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 <laughs> at yeah. all. But, it, I mean, I don't even think that I'm intelligent and well-informed enough to be undecided about this problem. It's, su- it's such an unfathomable thing because it's so widespread um, and so dense um, and multi-layered that it's really hard to, def- it's, it's almost impossible to define right. and come up on a position on it. 
Um, but I just thought that really that really spoke to that idea. Um, there are obviously certain academic um, uh, discourses on this. A lot of people pinpoint it, um, look at it through the lens of uh, mental illness or physical illness, substance abuse. Um, some people approach it from the lack of affordable housing side of things, um, the lack of living wage jobs, um, unemployment, underemployment. Um, and, you know, a lot of people look at anti-homelessness laws. And so these are all sort of um, the inner workings of homelessness. And, and, and I think that to make it a little bit more palatable, people take sort of one section of the issue in academic literature and just sort of try to tackle that. Um, so that's what we've really f I've found in my research so far is that people are trying to make it more um, easily conceptualized, I guess. Most definitely. You, you find that I think the visualization of any sort of problem mm -hmm. helps create a better framework for, you know, just the, the individuals out there, part of the community to really understand. I think I saw some sort of poster in San Francisco where it said somewhere like, this is someone who has suffered like a heart attack. This is what they look like. Mm -hmm. And I just showed their picture and they had their shirt open and it had like that scar, you know, and they had that bit of that scar tissue. And it gave me goosebumps because I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is a powerful visual representation of someone who's going through this. So it was like basically sending a signal like, hey, folks, you know, this is real, you know, could happen to you. Um, and it creates that connectivity uh, that provides, you know, sort of a visualization that folks need to see in mm -hmm. order for it to be real. Right. Um, and, and the minute you can do that, you take all these complicated factors and you make it simple for people to digest, like you say. It's like, um, you know, the ability, the, the creation of like the iPod, you know, and all that went into, you know, pulling all the songs into this, you know, to where it's in your hand, right. you know. Uh, you take the complicated and you make it simple. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So moving from that and, and just all the different facets that come from that, mm -hmm. you know, um, can you tell us when was the first time it occurred to you that you were starting to see that there was a homelessness issue here in Monterey? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably day one when yeah. I got here. Um, I had never been um, to this area of California before. Um, I think California is sort of, um, everybody knows it for its homelessness problem. So I, I think I anticipated it to a certain extent, but visually it looks a lot different than the homelessness I've, I've seen. Um, and I, I first noticed it when I was running on the recreation trail. Um, all of these, all of these people sort of, um, moving on this, on this, transit route almost and there's a collision of cultures there because you have these um these people exercising which is sort of this symbol of affluence and privilege right um yeah. and then you have homeless populations there it's 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 really that was really striking to me um and they just coexisted and and there's no acknowledgement or any sort of interaction between the two um you know categories of people, if you will. Um, but I, that's when I first noticed it. And um, I think the homeless populations here actually 
look very different in the sense that, uh, well, I was shocked to hear that there are no shelters on the peninsula. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure who said that in one of your previous podcasts. Um, so most of them are just are outside. Right. And they've, they've devised these sort of um, advanced systems, whether it's on their bikes or, um, or, or whatever it is. They have, a lot of them have pretty um, sophisticated systems for transporting themselves and their belongings. Right. Um, and, and, and so you really see um, these people are, are surviving and they're intelligent, you know, they're, they're, they're intelligent human beings. And I think that's often lost um, that with the stigmas of homelessness. People, people just tend to assume that homeless, homeless populations are, you know, undereducated or, or that they, you know, they're, they're victims of their own um, sort of mistakes um, and they landed themselves there. But uh, these, are, these are people really right. and they're just trying to survive and you can see that very clearly in the in the homeless populations here in Monterey I think mm. yeah that's that's so true in the sense that I, I've seen folks you know they have so much to carry with them you know mm-hmm. so yeah they have these uh, very intrinsic mechanisms in which mm-hmm. they're carrying all their their belongings and I'm just like scratching my head and I've been on the trail and I've seen that too I'm just like what an interesting dichotomy, you know? This is how weird, right? You know? And and you noted also that like they don't speak to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's almost baffling to me to think that like even when it's staring you right in the face, folks turn a blind eye, right? You know. And so it's like, all right, how do we rediscover our humanity here? Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, how do we that... unlearn some of the things that society has taught? I mean, we really have been taught to ignore people on the streets who are asking for money. Right. Um, we've been taught to, you know, go around these people on the path and, yeah, pret- almost pretend that they're not even there, which right. is crazy. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, literature that says even if you can't give somebody money or you can't help them in any way, there is nothing wrong with saying hi to somebody or how are you or have a good day and so I really I try to make an effort to do that um and I and I really encourage other people to do that as well and I think that's the first step in as you said finding the humanity in this issue um and and breaking down those those barriers between the two populations most definitely um my roommate uh Catherine Grace uh she was the first person that like sort of conceptualized the idea of, of how this podcast came to be in the sense that she was taking the bus back and forth uh, from school to home, home to school. And uh, there on the Monterey Transit Center, there's quite a few folks um, who she would have conversations with who were homeless. And um, it kind of struck a chord with me because they weren't, you know, what you would conceptualize in the mind as far as, like, being homeless mm-hmm. in the sense that they were educated and that, you know, some of these folks, you know, had master's degrees and mm-hmm. had the qualifications to, you know, uplift themselves. But, you know, we find ourselves in precarious situations all the time on a daily basis and how we're living, you know. Uh, I think more so than the question of, you know, 
oh, how are you doing this morning? Or how are you? You know, and on the surface, we might say like, oh, we're doing good. Mm -hmm. But just like, if you ask the question, like, how are you living? Like, that strikes a chord. Right. Uh, it reminds me of a, a video on YouTube uh, where folks are in a busy city and there's this guy, he's got this little tiny booth and he's just saying, hey, stare, just like, let's have a staring contest. It's just like, look into each other's eyes for like one minute. And, you know, people are hesitant and then a couple of people actually, you know, decide to sit at the booth and they just sit there and just like look at each other. They don't know who each other are, you know, but they have a moment and like most of them like just like break down, you know, and just yeah. like, ah, someone noticed me, yeah. you know, and to be noticed, uh, to be recognized, that provides like, you know, a recourse towards, you know, human dignity. Exactly. Um, and, uh. There are a lot of things to unlearn, but that's why we're here, folks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So what kind of connections, uh, speaking about connections, what kind of connections do you see with your academic interests as it pertains with building uh, community partnerships here in the future? Yeah, um, I, I really would like to, to get more involved in the community. As I said at the beginning, I don't think there's a way to, to sort of study this stuff without feeling compelled to make those connections and get involved and make an actual impact. Um, and so, you know, I like to sort of um, take what I've learned, of course, homelessness and, and housing and, um, and, and everything that comes with it looks very different in Portland than it does, you know, here in Monterey. But um, I think there are definitely concepts and things that I've learned that can apply, that can apply here. Um, and and California really uh, is leading the way on a lot of issues. I think that at least I certainly look at California and like, what are they doing over there? Right. You know, <laughs> how are they approaching issues? Um, and I think that's really important to have a leader, especially in this political climate, that we can look towards and say, okay, what are they doing? Um, and and then you know, on the other side of it, I would love to take some of those those ideas, those skills, um, back to where I grew up, um, and spread and spread those sort of ideas. I think that collaboration on these issues is absolutely key. Um, and I really think that it's nonprofits and NGOs that are really going to be on the front line of this thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have, have given up faith in, in, the public sector to tackle these issues, at least not in the immediate future. Um, so, you know, working with nonprofits, I can't, I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. It's really, you know, we, we have to work with people. We have to work with organizations. Right. Um, so I'd really like to sort of um, see where those linkages are and how I can fit in and where I can be most helpful to the to the community that I'm in right it's as if for me the this the ongoing conversation that we've been having here has spurred so many you know offshoot conversations in cafes and in bars and and people are wondering um, how does one you know tackle this you know and it's it's not straightforward uh, you're right in the sense that you know a person I had a luncheon this past Saturday at a United Way, uh, right down the street. Um, he was working for the Monterey Bay Economic Partnership, mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a gentleman out of Salinas. He grew up there his whole life. And h- him and his family came through the ranks and were able to have an education, were able to have, you know, a childhood through affordable housing in Salinas. And so it's a very critical part of, you know, how children are, you know, being educated and just to have like a sustainable and affordable way of life um, just out the out the shoot, you know, out the gates. And so it's one of those things where he broke it down in four ways in which we can achieve, you know, the end of homelessness, he said. Uh, well, you can take a look at outside perspectives, like you said, and learn how to best collaborate and, you know, use our resources uh, in the most effective ways. And then internalize that and focus on, you know, our local areas, our local communities. And one of them is, is you know, you can have a project uh, on, on, online to, to really focus in on. You can have the organizational structure. Mm-hmm. You can even have the budget coming in. But if you don't have the political will, then nothing's going to get done. Yeah. You know, and it's it's talking to folks to dispel the fears, to dispel the worries that, oh, you guys are building affordable housing next to my house. How's that going to look like? Is that going to drive down my real estate property values? You know, it, it's being able to dispel like, no, it's going to be OK. These folks are just like you and I. Right. And they're just trying to make a, a quality life. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the political dynamics involved. Oh, I mean, it's it's 50 50 it's it's 50 percent doing the work that you know needs to be done right more affordable housing development more housing first development and then 50 percent of it is convincing people that this needs to be done and you know that can you imagine if that aspect of of it weren't weren't so large how much more we could get done so i think you're absolutely right changing political perspectives and 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 making this really a top priority for our officials um, who, who recognize that every everything well-being and and community growth um, and community strengthening really all stems from housing mm-hmm. and and this is not just for homeless people but these are this is for people who can't afford um, rent right. in these communities and these are for single parents and and immigrants of course who, who are just arriving and have nowhere to go I mean housing is step one right. um, and I think obviously that's that's reflected in in the housing first um, model but should be really upheld in all aspects of of local governance mm. really um, and I really hope that I mean you're seeing it now in these elections right with the measures and yeah it's out. starting to happen but I, I I would love to see more um, politicians integrate that into their platforms hmm. um, on a regular basis. I was talking to a uh, candidate, uh, Maddox Haberdasher, uh, previously on this podcast, mm-hmm. and he had mentioned that we should strive to make it like a competition, like, oh, how many people did you house today? Yeah. You know, and I was like, wow, that's really ship thing the way we think about it. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, I think... Um, you're right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is what governance is for. I mean, they, they are there to support people. Um, and that's sort of been lost. But, yeah, if we can make it a competition. Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see what we've got lined up here, folks. 
this has been a great conversation, and I just want to uh, wrap things up uh, as we go into the week, uh, weekend, that is. Um, so as we have been talking about, there's been, you know, longstanding lack of action on affordable housing here. Um, so what do you see as any foreseeable policies worth implementing or policies that are not even as such as measures uh, that we should consider as we approach a new election cycle? Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm such an advocate for affordable housing. I, I saw in real time, in you know, in a real context, how it impacts people's lives um, and what it does for communities as a, as a whole. It's, it's mutually beneficial. So affordable housing and housing first models are really key. Um, another, another issue that's sort of a hot debate right now is uh, rent control. Mm. And um, I am, I, I got to be honest, I'm very um, sort of ambivalent on rent control. I don't, I don't really, I haven't seen it actually implemented. Um, so I don't know how, how it really works, but there are some serious, there's some serious opposition to rent, rent control for various reasons. And I understand those reasons. Um, but at the same time, I think people are saying, well, if not rent control, then what? You know, I don't think we're building affordable housing at a fast enough rate right now. Um, so, so you know, what's the solution? People are are getting desperate here. Yeah. Um, homelessness rates are skyrocketing, and and rents are getting more affordable. So, people are really looking for immediate solutions. Um, and I think affordable housing development is a great start. But I think we need to start looking at other. Um, other more, you know, you know, innovative policies and practices. Right. Um, and I don't really know what that looks like right now. Yeah. Um, I would love to see some creative thinking uh, on that and what else we can do right now. Right. And you sort of speak on uh, the price rent control. And I had heard in the past by a couple of folks who said, you know, there's, you know, when you start implementing new policies, of course, you're just hitting just the tip of the iceberg. And the ramifications, you know, of implementing new policies is that, you know, what kind of effects are these going to have? Are they going to have positive effects? We hope, you know, are they going to have negative effects? Probably so. Yeah. And so, you know, you talk about rent control and that's placing lesser uh, autonomy in the sections in which uh, the, the people who are implementing that, you know, and like you see the backdrop to that is that you have folks who are running these uh these uh, associations you know what the reaction might be to it you're also seeing that the people who own the property mm -hmm. how they're reacting to it mm -hmm. and then you're seeing the folks who should be helped the most and their reactions to it mm -hmm. and you take all that uh and qualitative data that it is is just talking to folks and saying you know absolutely you know how are you living yeah how are you living and is it something that we're lacking and how can we best communicate on right. uh, bringing about new solutions because right. we're really on the forefront of, of things that haven't been discussed uh, and it's led up to this point to where um, here we are discussing it here we are so. yeah definitely Thank you so much, Emmy, and I hope to uh, continue our conversations yeah. as uh, the semester progresses. And, oh, we um, will. Most definitely. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
<laughs> Always a Got pleasure. A lot to do. Oh my gosh, so much. A lot of so work much. to do. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. Mother Mary and Joseph. Um, <laughs> thank you, folks, for uh, listening again. Uh, this has been Miss Radio Podcast Group. And uh, stay tuned as we uh, look forward to uh, talking to some more folks next week on uh, the statistics that have come through on affordable housing and homelessness in the Monterey Bay area uh, next week. And also look for us at a cafe near you. Uh, We'll be publishing a sticker so you can put it uh, wherever you'd like. And um, yeah, spread the good word on our podcast and Again, you can follow us at Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Anchor.fm. And yes, thank you again for listening and have a great weekend.